So I think before we get into anything else, we should address one of the really important questions brought up by this movie, which is horses or camels? <laughs> well, camels are obviously geniuses. They're way smarter than horses. They're actually smarter than many small children. Yeah, they speak really good English. I mean, they, I'm sorry, they don't speak it. They understand it. They're actually really good at inference, too. Oh, they are. Yeah, like they can see what you're planning and they're on board with that. They're going to help. Yeah. If they like you. They are the last of their kind. Skilled assassins. Trained for generations in the deadly art. Will you stand alone before the fury of his armies? Yes. The Scorpion King. Hi, I'm Rose. And I'm Hannah. And this is More is More, where we are talking about the Scorpion King. <laughs> the third installment of Stephen Summers' slide... Well, I guess the second installment of his slide into... Just terrible movies. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's funny that I feel like The Mummy was like the high point of his career. Uh, it was. He's got like a Stephen King thing going on where like he wrote his best stuff a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> so this is The Scorpion King is technically the prequel movie to the second Mummy movie. So it's a prequel to a sequel, just to make it extra confusing. We should also clarify that in The Mummy 2, the Brock is actually the villain. Yes. So this is confusing. It was confusing for us because we've never seen The Mummy 2. Uh, however, I found this to describe The Rock's role in The Mummy 2. He plays the Scorpion King, a vanquished warrior who sells his soul to the god Anubis in order to conquer Egypt with an army of dog-faced soldiers and who returns from the dead as a giant scorpion man to battle both O'Connell and Imhotep. So you're going to get very little of that in this movie. <laughs> none. Uh, none just, of that. Just a warning. They basically made him Conan the Barbarian? Yeah. But a little bit different? Yeah. So this is directed by Chuck Russell. Um, and Stephen Summers has a writing credit on it and a producing credit. Uh, he's one of many writers credited, so I don't know exactly how much he's responsible for on this. Well, I think he wrote all of the, like, I think he started the script. And then he picked the director also. Okay. And he picked The Rock. He, when he was writing this, he actually knew that he wanted a wrestler to play The, Rock, uh, the Rock's character. Okay. Um, but he Matthias. didn't know <laughs> Matthias. That's right. But he didn't know anything about wrestling, so he, I guess, watched some clips and thought that The Rock was great because he is. Um, yeah, it turned out to be one of the best choices of his career. Truly, one of the best. Although apparently, this was not the first time that The Rock had been approached for a leading man role. He turned down the movie The One that Jet Li ended up taking. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so it also stars uh, Dwayne Johnson, as we've said, as the main character. Stephen Brand is the villain, Michael Clark, Clark Duncan. Sporting a bitchin' faux hawk plus a mullet. Yes. It's pretty good. It's also co-produced, according to the credits, by the WWF. Yes, that's Vince McMahon, one of the producers listed. He is the, the wrestling guy who, yes. who organized all that. 
and he gets credit simply because they use the rock's name in his credit. So this is already off to an amazing start, I think we can say. Oh, yes. Yeah. It was released in theaters. All of its sequels have been direct to DVD. Not surprised. They look really bad. Well, and they also all feature wrestlers. So (laughs) this is obviously another way for the WWF to start. I mean, they look too bad for us to even ever review on this show. I mean, I don't... I. Let's not be too hasty. Okay, okay, okay. I just saw... But they do look pretty bad. Okay, is it weird to you that as bad as the effects are in this movie, they're way better than the effects used for the Scorpion King's character in The Mummy 2? Have you ever (laughs) seen stills of that? No. It's really bad. That's funny. Oh, it does... Yeah, it's very computer generated. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into the plot. We start off in... Let's say a reveling group of barbarians. They're reveling. They're, they're a raping and a reveling. Yeah. I mean, I presume that the raping and pillaging has just finished. Well, um, I, think, I think the pillaging just finished and the raping's very much in full swing. Could be. Could yeah. be. It's hard to say. What they're actually about to do is crucify Matthias's brother. They're stopped quickly by the rock who throws a boulder into the room. <laughs> Like he does. And then he shoots a crossbow at someone with so much force, the guy in question goes through the wall and over a bunch of trees. Yeah, it sounds like he might not have turned down the superhero role as much as he thought he did. Yeah. So anyway, a fight ensues, as is to be expected. Uh, It also has a nice heavy metal scoring to it, which definitely helps it to age really well. Real early 2000s. Could even be late 90s. Yeah, it could be. So this also features the most amazing stunt of all time, which um, has the rock holding on to the rope attached to a chandelier. The (laughs) chandelier weighs more than he does, so he he goes up with the rope, the chandelier goes down around the villain, the villain grabs the chandelier, and then the rock picks up someone who is visibly smaller than him, and they outweigh both the chandelier and the man. Well, it's a marvel of physics, really. Yes. Physics has has changed since 3000 BC or whenever this was. I think it's definitely safe to say, like, we have a very loose understanding of how all this works. Yeah. Also, maybe magic? (sighs) Things were just a lot cooler back then, I want to say. Probably. He saves his brother, his completely useless brother. And then we go into the backstory about Memnon, who's our current Scorpion King. Uh, he's, you know, basically defeated everyone around. He's the worst person of all time. He probably kicks small puppies on a regular basis. But Rose, how was he able to defeat all of these other countries? Well, let me tell you, he has a sorcerer <gasps> who can predict the future. Snap. Sweet Mercy Brown, things just got real. We leave we leave Memnon B for now in his glorious palace, and we go to a gathering of many barbarian tribes from all over by the racial diversity of the group. Yeah, Rose, uh, how many of these tribes are white? Is it more than none? Yeah. That's weird to me. We had some people traveling a long way to get here. (laughs) Anglo-Saxons that are really invested in this fight. They are. And in fact, one of them seems to be in charge of the whole group. And he's defended from the jibes of everyone else by his son, Tokmet. I wonder if we'll be seeing him again. I don't know, but you may recognize him as Dr. Vampire from the Twilight series, 
That's Dr. Cullen, and he's the only one of the bunch that was actually good-looking, I believe, in the Twilight series. It's a bold statement. Well, they did dye everybody's hair the color it wasn't supposed to be, and then try to make them super pale. It didn't work. Whatever. Dr. Vampire. Anyway, this is also where we're introduced to Balthazar, who's played by Michael Clark Duncan. He's a warrior chief, shall we say. He also has a very pronounced American accent. I've raided Memnon's caravans, broken the supply lines to his troops, but he's still swept across the land like a plague. <laughs> he does. And tribal scarring before Hollywood knew what tribal scarring looked like. Yes. They're they're really branding marks, but it's fine. We yes. just need to know that he's uh, tribal. So in this argument, the Acadians, which happens to be the Rock and a brother and an unspecified third person, uh, show up and they are going to kill Memnon, sorcerer, for 20 blood rubies. And they specifically say, As long as one of us still breathes, the sorcerer will die. Stated motivation. <laughs> exactly. But here's the thing. They're not just contract. I, I mean, sure, maybe they're contract killers, but wouldn't they already want to kill him? Why do they need 20 blood rubies? Are they just trying to make that cash on the side? Well, presumably. Okay. I, don't, I mean, working expenses. And I'm we're going to see shortly that The Rock is not actually very savvy with money in this movie. <laughs> the brothers sneak into the city where the sorcerer Gender neutral! Where the sorcerer probably is. Um, and they come across a rather humorous young man uh, who's about to be tortured and is hanging upside down. Oh my goodness. So played by Grant Heslov, who everyone should recognize if you're good-hearted people as the villain from 1994's True Lies. Yes. He's uh, not very villainous in this movie. He's definitely the comic relief. The Rock saves him inadvertently and then leaves him leaves him hanging oh uh, yeah you see what i did there anyway the rock and the acadians they approach the tent they are immediately shot with a barrage of arrows except for the rock who cannily saw this coming and dived out of the way so now the rock is pretty angry he sneaks in through the back of the tent he sees a mysterious figure in a huge cloak ostentatiously huge cloak unless andre the giant is wearing it yes uh this figure turns around and reveals a sorceress <gasps> not a sorcerer and <sighs> she's wearing a disproportionately tiny bikini for the size of that robe what are you gonna do the rock you gonna kill a hot lady are you gonna pause with your stated mission and that's what he does. That's what he does, okay. Turns out the whole thing's a trap. Memnon knows he's coming, not because of his sorceress, who could have easily told him in her future predictions, but actually because Tachmet, who was the son of the northern chief, the Dr. white Vampire. chief, has betrayed his father, which we know because he's still carrying around his father's head. Okay, can I just say that this is played, he comes in... Like, to swear fealty to Memnon with his father's head. I, I, that's what he's swearing on. Yes. Um, I really would like to think that he's been standing around the camp for two weeks carrying his father's head around, waiting for the rock to show up so that he could get this timing right. Yeah. I really feel like he held on to it just so he could make the, the quips. <laughs> the quips? Yeah. Oh, about a head. Yeah. 
about betraying his father, which we know, so that he can lift the head into the frame. Um, this is really, he's a man who understands the power of presentation. He does. It works really well. Yes. But I, I'm just imagining, like, other guards around the camp, like, oh, buddy, what are you doing to eat your lunch out here? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Takmat's in the cafeteria, and he's got that head with him, and it's it's a week old now. It's getting pretty rank. Oh, I hear ya. Yeah. Let's go eat in the garden. Probably. Well, Memnon is also there, because Memnon likes to show up to all of his, his own assassinations. <laughs> um... He gloats a bit to the rock, and then he brings in the rock's brother, who has apparently not been killed by the many arrows who have been, that have been shot into him. He kills his brother in front of him. The rock is understandably angry. There's another fight scene, and the rock is easily bested. But the sorceress says, you can't kill him. We need to keep him alive because of the gods and stuff. So instead, Memnon buries him up to the neck in the desert and leaves him to die. Well, because she doesn't say we can't kill him. She says that he cannot die by Memnon's hand. True. Uh, so that also... Or any uh, hand he commands. Yeah, or any hand he commands. So that includes his guards. So he decides that he's going to uh, have these mound ants kill him for him. Right. So he wakes up in the desert next to our friendly neighborhood comic relief character, who is also buried in the desert... Um, we, we actually find out he's a horse thief. So apparently horse thief and attempted assassinations merit the same punishment, which turns out to be death by huge mound ant. Yeah, it's pretty scenic. Uh, but I don't think that those ants actually live on a continent besides North America. Just from a brief Googling. Yeah. Uh, they so. filmed in Arizona and I think this was in the Sonoran Desert in Yuma. And I think that's that's where the ants were. But anyway. Right. So the guards are basically setting the mounds on fire to drive the ants out. The ants are about the size of a thumb. They're quite large and very red, which anyone in Texas knows means fire ants. Mm-hmm. Red is bad. Yes. The horse thief magically manages to get out of the sand. We... We don't know. He's buried up to his neck. Yeah. But he doesn't magically manage this. Unclear. That guy must be crazy strong, which, if, if it's true, it would be very helpful in the rest of the movie, but it's never addressed. Right. So presumably, he, does, he just doesn't want to get involved in the fighting. He's lazy and cowardly. Well, he does promise to help the Rock with a promise that he will be taken on the Rock's adventures. Not exactly sure why. He seems to be very cowardly, but this is what he wants to do. So, I think he just doesn't want to be left in the desert alone with no camel. He specifically says he wants to be taken on his adventures. And that's weird. Yes. So anyway, um, there's a fight scene with the fire ants where the rock kills many with his, his chin, which is the only thing available to him. So then they uh, escape and they show up at the city. So we have a cut scene where the sorceress is telling Memnon he will conquer the West, defeating Queen Isis. Memnon says, I will bring order after centuries of chaos. An order which will last for a thousand years. A thousand years is a really bold claim. I get that everybody was, like, really prone to uh, exaggeration with all their dynastic uh, goals, but good lord, a thousand years. Yeah, I mean, he was a big thinker. (laughs) Very ambitious man. So anyway, then he says, after he brings peace, he's going to marry the sorceress. She says, 
hold on. If you do that and we consummate that marriage, I'll lose my powers. He says he won't need them anymore. Which I think is incredibly short-sighted. Like, nobody ever tried to defeat an empire after it was solidified. I don't... I don't know what you're talking about. No. (laughs) No recollection of anything like that happening. I read about a legend once in history that it happened somewhere. I don't know. It probably wasn't true, though. Well, that's true. Apocryphal stories like that abound. Yeah. So, The Rock shows up... In Gamora, manages to get in by knocking out our friendly horse thief and bringing him in as a bounty. Then he drops him off at a food stand and proceeds on the rest of the adventure by himself. So he immediately gets mugged by a band of small children. He chases them through the city. Pickpocketed. Mugged sounds really aggressive. Like, they didn't physically take on the rock. True. They just outsmarted him. Yeah. So he chases after the head of the little gang, and he finds him, he gets the rubies back, but he's canny to all these tricks, and he knows that kid's got a ruby in his mouth. So now here's how we see the financial savvy of Matthias in this movie. He says, would you like to take this blood ruby, which would probably support you and your family for 10 years? Forever, I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the rates of inflation were then, but like definitely for a long time. (laughs) Just to show me where Memnon's palace is. A way into the palace. That was... You know, it's funny. He does say a way into the palace, but like, I guess he must get into it. He kind of just looks like he's hanging along the edge. But I'll assume that his palace has many walls, many layers of walls. Probs. So the kid agrees, because the kid is much smarter than Matthias in this case. And he takes him, actually, to Memnon's magician. Okay, yeah. He is actually credited as that. Who is also white for some reason. All we basically learn there is that he has access to gunpowder, and he knows what it is. And then, completely unrelated, the rock actually shows up (laughs) at the courtyard, where Memnon is practicing catching arrows. It's like his big trick. Yeah. He can catch arrows before they hit him. Yeah. Pretty so he was displaying his prowess there. So I'm not real sure why we were introduced to the court magician. Uh, yeah, it's weird because we already have comic relief, so I don't know why we would need another comic relief. Because what I saw him as, do you remember Leonardo da Vinci in Ever After with I Drew do. Barrymore? He was basically that character. Like, he he's this, like, absent-minded old white professor guy. And he, like, oh, I don't know why Memnon keeps you around, all the guards are always saying. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we hate you. Good thing Memnon likes your stupid tricks. Yeah. So Memnon's practicing catching arrows. And then the rock is about to shoot him, the bow and arrow, from a long way away. When the pickpocket is dragged in. For theft, because he has a ruby on him. Oh, we know you didn't come by that, honestly. Yeah. Tokmet, who, by the way, is still hanging around. Just part of the court now, I guess. Yeah, that's weird. How? Why is he... Also, if he was going to be part of the court, why is he now his main enforcer for, like, street urchins? And, bigger question, why is the place that street urchins for, like... Well, I wouldn't call it a minor theft, but there's no one to prosecute, so I don't know, like how they even found out about this, unless the kid was, like, tossing the ruby up in the air as he walked down the street. And he seemed smarter than that, but whatever. So why is the main court for, like, 
children's <laughs> crimes now right in front of Memnon while he's parading his talents and his hot ladies around. I don't understand that. I think Memnon likes to take a personal interest in his people. I mean, I guess, but he never really ruled on it. It was just like happening next to him. Well, I don't want to say he took a benevolent interest in his people. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. So Tokmet is going to cut off this kid's hand the soft-hearted rock can't take this, so he instead shoots an arrow that stops the axe mid-swing. So instead of killing Tokmet, who he knows betrayed him already and is directly responsible for the death of his brother? Yeah, he just stops the axe. Yeah, I don't understand that. Yeah. Well, now Memnon knows he's there, um, so he catches the arrow that the rock shoots at him, and then the rock is forced to flee because, you know, guards and stuff. He flees, Basically into Memnon's harem. Yeah, it is his harem. Where they strip him of all his weapons. I mean, you know, they sexily flirt with him while stripping him of all his weapons. And then call the guard. Yeah, they pretend to be really excited that a dude has walked into the harem. And they're like, oh, we're so lonely. Oh, stay with us. It'll be amazing. And I'm really glad that that changed. Because I'm pretty sure in a harem, you actually didn't want dudes walking in there all the time. Since you were basically sex slaves. But... Yes, he has no weapons now, and the guards are called with a big gong. Yes, so a bit of a chase scene, and he winds up, thankfully, in the sorceress's bathroom. Bathtub? Well, not quite in the tub. I thought he landed in the tub. Oh, no, no, I guess not. Okay. Well, and we actually don't know it's her bathtub yet, because she rises out of the water. She's holding her breath for about a minute before she rises magically out of the water, uh, dramatic hair flip no not that well yeah a bit of a dramatic hair flip but also hair strategically placed so that we can't see her goods this is pg-13 yeah she's very surprised to see the rock there the rock goes into the pool and they go down the drain i would like to discuss for a second the sewer system of this city so they for one thing have a drain in the bath that's large enough for both the rock and the sorceress to go down like even a drain that's just large enough for the rock is too large You should not have a drain that big. Yeah, I mean, like, I have a huge question mark about this drain. Like, that seems... It's it's excessive. I mean, at that point, like, I don't even know how they keep water in the tub. Well, I mean, especially in a place where water is so scarce, wouldn't you make drains really small? Yeah. What if you accidentally knocked it loose... And then just forget about maybe someone being in it. Although Mm -hmm. I guess the cover for a drain like that would have to be really heavy. But still, you're losing so much water. Yeah. The other possible solution is that this is perhaps a bottomless pool that connects to the other parts of the sewer system. However, I will note that it connects... When they come out of the drain, they actually come up from the bottom of a fountain. Where people are getting drinking water. Yeah. Oh, I never thought about that. That's so gross. Right. So I am forced to assume, based on the logic of this sewer system, (laughs) that the fountain and the bath are both part of one huge pool of water that you can reach through underground tunnels. Yeah. That's just insecure also. Yeah. I mean, a lot of flaws here. Um... With the plumbing. They leave through the city, the horse thief, who's been hanging out at the food stall, just joshing around with the other folks. Very popular. He's telling some really good... The jokes are landing. Yeah. We'll say that. He sees trouble happening in the streets. He decides to get out of there. And he does. uh, Taking the rock's camel with him and saying that he's dead, we should just leave and abandon him. Oh, back up. Trying to. This camel 
is The Rock's best friend in this movie. Yeah. I will make that argument. Yeah. Uh, he's having none of it. He does not believe that The Rock is dead. You better bring The Rock's head with you if you're going to try to get this camel to move without him. Yeah. And it turns out his patience is rewarded because The Rock shows up just in time to give our comic relief a bit of a look, disappointed look. And then yeah. they all go off into the desert. Actually, The Rock and the Sorceress get to ride the camel and the comic relief runs along the side. <laughs> <laughs> so this camel's not moving very fast. No. They also don't seem well, to have got... much of a water supply with them. Well, the camel's got the rock on his back. <laughs> no one's going to be moving too fast yeah. in this situation. Good point. Yeah. So they go out into the desert, aptly named the Valley of the Dead. We know it's the Valley of the Dead because there are two skeleton scarecrows, basically, just <laughs> hanging out at the, at the border of it. Um, question, why, why are there only two? There should either be one, or there should be a hundred. Yeah, two is a weird number for that, but here's my question. Why are they there? Nobody lives there, so who went all the way out to the Valley of the Dead to give a warning to question mark? I assume that The Rock and his brother put them up, because when, he, when they show up there, he says, It's good to be home. Oh, was it a joke? Was he joking? I really don't think it was. Oh, that's upsetting. Yeah. So they're crossing the desert. Uh, the sorceress tries to escape one night and the rock catches her. She reveals that she hates Memnon because Memnon has kept her prisoner as a child. Let's for a second talk about the age difference between the sorceress and Memnon. Yeah, okay, so it turns out the actress that plays the sorceress is actually one year older than the guy who plays Memnon. That's not always a good indicator of movie age. Sometimes people look a lot younger than they are. But when she said that, I immediately looked it up because they even look like they're the same age. Right. So let's say, let's just say, they're 10 years apart. I could believe that. You know, some people do look older than they are, younger than they are. Right. 10 years apart. So Memnon is, what? He would have to be at least 20 and she would have to be 10. You could even say 5 and 15. But this seems like a bit of an early career move for Memnon. <laughs> Evil starts early. I guess it does. I've learned that from several SVU episodes. Yeah. Uh, so she says she helped The Rock escape from the tent because she knew he was the one man who could help her escape and also help Memnon's people. Uh, it's a little bit hard to know that this is the case in, in actual evidence because uh, she actually does very little to help him. I mean, she does prevent him from being killed. But um, Memnon's relying on her for a lot of advice. Oh, yeah. Presumably, if she hates Memnon that much, she could give him worse advice. Possibly get him killed in battle. Yeah, you'd have to be sure, though, that he would be killed in battle, because otherwise he comes back and, like, life's a lot worse for you now. I guess so. She may have just never had a way to surely kill him. Very possibly. Never but, got that vision. Well, or she's just a coward. Also an option. <laughs> I, I would be right there with her. Yeah. So the next day, The Rock has a bit of a conversation with his camel, trying to find this cave that he knows, uh, where they can hopefully ride out the approaching sandstorm. Everyone else is surprised by the news of the sandstorm, but The Rock knows his Valley of the Dead. Update. Camel is best friend and confidant. But he also sees that Memnon's soldiers are riding toward them. Is it true that no one in this movie 
wears a shirt. Mostly just the leather armor. You don't really, the shirt is superfluous with the armor. So in the desert, the name of this show holds true. More is more. You do not want to be walking around the Valley of the Dead with no clothes on. It does not make you cooler. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway. Also, this is a good point. Uh, it's a good time to mention that the Rock's armor uh, doesn't actually cover most of his sides. Well, we, we've got to see those muscles. Yeah. So, not the best leather armor possibly a man could have. I'm sorry. Would you have the Rock wear a full shirt? Is that what you're telling me right now? I know this is a little bit of an unorthodox position. His wig is already covering up too much of his back. <laughs> I'm not uh, sure you understand why people watched this movie. Oh, I, I know why people watched this movie. Was it for Grant Heslov's humorous machinations? It was. That's why I watched it. Yeah. The Rock tells the sorceress and the horse thief, basically you know, hunker down for this sandstorm. I'm going to go take care of these people. I would like to point out that I don't think either of these people have been in a sandstorm. <laughs> yeah, definitely not the sorceress. But let's assume for argument's sake, you know, they have. They hunker down in the sand with the camel. Um, the rock puts on a nice little leather eye mask that doesn't cover his mouth at all. Memnon soldiers already know who he is. Or his eyes, actually. He has eye holes cut out. He does. Because otherwise he can't see. So it doesn't cover anything important. Like, unless the skin around his eyes is just really sensitive. Well, it looks like a bandit mask, kind yeah, of. Yeah, Like does. Lone Ranger-ish kind of bandit mask. But they already know who he is. Well, also, again, he's the rock. True. Not a lot of dudes with that physique. True. And body mass. So he goes to fight... These people. Uh, the sandstorm, of course, starts with dramatic effects. Most of these people fight with their mouths open, including the rock. So. <laughs> it goes underground. The fight goes underground. Yes, there's, I guess this is the cave the rock has been looking for. I guess so. But is now a good time to bring up their post-production troubles? Yeah, I think so. So after the movie was filmed and they had edited most of it together, they realized that the movie was too short. Yes. So, Rose, can you explain why that's ridiculous? So it's a little bit ridiculous, because typically an experienced screenwriter is going to know that a page of script is going to be about a page, uh, a minute of screen time. So you can generally tell by the length of screenplay how long the final movie is going to be. This can vary a little bit depending on how it's directed, depending on how the action scenes play out, things like that. But typically, going into the movie, you have a pretty good gauge about how long this movie is going to be. The movie, as it is today, is still only 90 minutes. Yeah. It was 70 minutes when they edited it together. 70? They had to put 20 more minutes. Well, if we're not counting credits, I don't know, 15 more minutes in? That's yeah. crazy. And this was a movie slated for theatrical release, which makes it even more egregious. <laughs> right, so... Like, here's, you know, directed DVD, people aren't really paying that much attention. You know, it's kind of your bottom-level crew. Right. So sometimes when I'm picking bad horror movies on Netflix to watch, I choose it by which one is the shortest. Yeah. Uh, well, then technically you only have to be 60 minutes to be considered a feature picture. Oh, I'm well aware. Yeah. <laughs> this scene is problematic. The underground fight scene. Yeah. It's really unnecessary. So here's the problem with it. The problem is 
you don't actually ever see the rock. And this is meant to, I believe, convey the rock's extreme stealth. Yeah, Rose, but it has to be the rock because who else could move so agilely and silently? Right, picking off the guards one by one. So the rock is conspicuously absent in this. Also, none of these are characters we've been introduced to before. So yeah. we have this fight scene. It takes place underground. Then we move back above ground, which is kind of what makes it feel even more like it was just spliced into the middle. It totally was. We move right back up above ground where the rock has also moved above ground. Presumably the guard goes back above ground because he's frightened by the rock's stealth moves down there. Oh yeah. But the rock is also now up. So we fight some more in a sandstorm, again with our mouths open. One of the guards stabs or shoots the rock with a specially prepared arrow that's been tipped with scorpion venom by Memnon. The rock kills all of the guards. The arrow is still in his leg. Then we cut to the sandstorm being over, the sorceress and the horse thief being concerned about the rock. So they ride over to where he is and he, he lifts up triumphantly from the sand to glorious music. Can't keep that man down. Pulls the arrow out of his leg and then immediately falls over because he's been poisoned. Mm. So this must be some pretty slow acting scorpion venom, I think. I'm not sure how long the sandstorm was supposed to last, but he seems completely unaffected by it until he pulls the arrow out of his leg. The scorpion venom should act really quickly because if the scorpion is able to use it, then it's really close to you and needs to get away from a predator right now. Yeah, and I actually uh, tried to look up how long sandstorms were, and the ones I found listed lasted between one and three hours. Yeah, I don't think there are short bursts of sandstorms. Like, if this was a huge sandstorm, like, this was massive, like, one of those huge walls of sand. Exactly. So you can have flurries, I'm sure, yeah. but not like that. So I guess we're just now setting up camp. We cut again to the night campfire scene. Not sure why it's taking this long. The rock's not getting any better, but the sorceress uses her magic to take the venom from the rock. He, she actually sucks it out of his mouth. She sucks it like a light out of his mouth. Yes. That well, I true. Guess this, the, this wasn't some sexy sucking. The, it was just yeah. kind of a mystic, like, bit of light, bit of air kind of sucking. Yeah. It doesn't, I guess, affect her the same way because she's magic. She does fall over, though. Well, she but does. she's completely better by morning. Uh, yeah. Horse Thief said she almost died, but that she just fell asleep. We have no real evidence for that. Yeah. We also get her saying, If he does live, the blood of the scorpion will always flow through his veins. Yeah, which is not how venom or blood works. We're just going to assume there's some mystic properties to the scorpion. Um, I guess. I now assume that uh, Memnon can actually poison people, possibly with his fingernails. You know, there's a lot we don't understand about scorpions, Rose. Egyptology. It's a culture, not a costume. True. Everyone's better. The Rock sends the carrier pigeon that they brought it's along with them. It's a hawk. It's a hawk. It's a bird of prey. Well, very well-trained bird of prey with the guard's pendant, bloodstained pendant. Memnon is very upset by this. But he says, you know, to his crew. Hiding it well. Yeah. Everything's going great. They're and gonna... uh, the sorceress is, is just having lady troubles. She She's fine. Yeah. She's not here. Yeah. For normal reasons. She's fine. She's definitely... Who keeps asking if she's been kidnapped? She's fine. Yeah, so with that smooth move, 
Uh, everyone leaves but Takmet, who's now Memnon's main confidant and right-hand man. For some reason, you would think that he already had someone to do that. Like, he's entered the scene really recently. Yeah. So he says, uh, get ready, because Sorceress is going to come back with the rock. This is the only time, also, that Takmet is portrayed as his confidant. The rock and his gang continue on in the desert, and they stumble across, dun-dun-dun, the court magician, who's blowing things up in the desert. He's escaped from Memnon. He's now just, you know, hanging out in the desert, blowing things up. Apparently, the absent-minded magician and the sorceress are old friends. <laughs> How would they have ever met? How are they, like, friends outside of the palace? They're like, hey, what? What are you doing here? This is awesome. Well, they seem like the people that would be given a lot of free reign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> they all go to an oasis where they are attacked by some very well-disguised grass-wearing soldiers. <laughs> they are, and that makes me wonder... How many people come to this watering hole every day? Because they were already there. They're sitting there in full grass regalia, just waiting for somebody to show up. Yeah. Uh, they take them to Balthazar's city, uh, where the pickpocket turns up. Yeah, the little kid is there. Mm -hmm. Just hanging out with Balthazar and the gang. He's presumably crossed the desert in record time. Made it there on his own. Um, Balthazar sees... Matthias wants to kill him because he's definitely bad news. Like he's well, definitely, he hasn't killed Memnon. He hasn't killed the sorceress. He hasn't well, he's done anything the sorceress. he's promised. He's with the sorceress currently, and that's not a good look for him. Yes. The guy who took 20 blood rubies and swore on his own life. They get into a big fight. They both draw their swords dramatically and run at each other and hit their swords against each other, and the swords shatter. But that really happened. Yes. That was not actually scripted. Yeah, which is amazing. And so you see a moment on screen. I'm actually really impressed that they both rolled with it the way they did. Because they both, like, look very surprised for a second. And then they keep fighting. Yes. So that was a real reaction. Yeah. So the fight scene continues. The Rock wins. He says, they're on the same side. Balthazar says Memnon won't stop until he gets the sorceress back. <clears throat> But The Rock says they can use the sorceress. So, you know, everyone's, everyone's trying to use these prophecies, which we'll keep in mind, in this upcoming night of partying, the sorceress touches a boy, not the pickpocket, just another boy, sees a vision of the boy dead, the city burning, Memnon's killing everyone. She's very upset. She tells The Rock that Memnon's gonna kill him and everyone else, and he refuses to believe her, saying, I make my own destiny. Why so, do they have the sorceress? Well, yeah. he's, not, he's not believing anything she says. Well, I'll listen to prophecies when I like what they have to say, okay, Rose? I, I don't listen to prophecies that tell me things I'm not there to hear. But here's the other thing. When... She never says when that vision's supposed to be. I assumed that it was supposed to be later that night when they caught up with them. <laughs> so then I'm like, why aren't you leaving right now? What are you doing here? But, I never even thought about that. Well, it, there, she never says when that's going to happen. Because if you see that child dead, wouldn't you try to stop it? But she's just like, everyone's going to die. And then he's like, it's fine, baby. Yeah. Then they fade to a very sexy black. The next morning, the sorceress leaves with the camel, who understands that she needs to get back to the city to do some important stuff. He knows. He knows. Yeah. The Rock's unhappy to see her gone. He rides after her with Balthazar's army, because Balthazar is now 150% on board. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't keep Michael Clark Duncan down. Yeah. 
We cut to Memnon, who's giving a inspiring speech to his army. Soldiers aren't feeling confident without the sorceress there. Yeah, he gets challenged. He does. Some dude is like, hey, buddy, where's the sorceress? I'm... <laughs> and then he's like, are you questioning me? No, I'm not doubting you, but where's the sorceress? <laughs> well, she thankfully shows up right on time. She says, I was sick, but now I'm here. What's up? Yeah. So we leave them. We go to Balthazar. So this is now a bit of intercutting. I'm just going to simplify it. So imagine it being more dramatically interspersed together. But basically, Balthazar, Balthazar sneaks into the city on a cart, uh, hilariously dressed in drag as a prostitute, full of hot ladies. Yeah. Guards are looking through, seeing who they want to see later. Who's that? Come here, cutie. Oh, shit. It's Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah. In blue eyeshadow. Yeah, never looked better. Yeah. The rock goes over the wall, like a normal person. Then they reconvene. It really feels like they could have just come in the one way. Yeah. But that's fine. So they go over you the plan. You weren't there, Rose. You weren't there. <laughs> they go over the plan, cripple the guard, ignite the gunpowder, try not to get killed. The pickpocket is also in the back of Balthazar's wagon, which apparently no one noticed. Yeah, I don't know why he even showed up. Like, first of all, there's no way that you get ready to go fight Memnon across the desert you don't notice the kid in the wagon. I mean, it seems like it would have been a long drive, and that that was not a very... That was a pretty crowded backseat. <laughs> just just on, on occasion. Who keeps asking if we're there yet? The Rock sees the kid and says, Hey, you need to stay out of the way. And the kid says, Okay. And we never really see him again. We, I think we do see him once in a reaction shot to something else that's happening. But basically for the remainder of the movie, we can pretend the pickpocket's not there. Oh my goodness. So Balthazar and his gang proceed with the plan while the Rock scales the palace walls. So now we see what's been happening in the palace. Memnon has set up a Russian roulette, basically. <laughs> of snakes! Yeah, snakes in jars. Because he thinks the sorceress has lost her powers. Because, but let's face it, who could spend that much time with the rock and still have your powers? Listeners, if you just said me, you're lying. The sorceress finds one empty vase, very dramatically, but Memnon continues to taunt her, so she pulls a snake out of the other vase and sets it on Memnon. I would like to add now at this point, we have added control over snakes to her list of powers. Yeah. So basically, prophecy, healing, scorpion venom, and control over snakes. It's a good list. Yeah. I mean, all things considered. I'd yeah. go with that. Yeah. Memnon struggles with the snake a little bit, but then the rock swings down from the window and hits Memnon. Then they, they fight. Uh, somehow Memnon manages to win the snakes over to his side, so he's having to fight all three. During the sword fight, his armor is half cut off, so the rock says to hell with it, cuts off, rips off the rest of his chest armor, so now we get him fighting in his full glory. Almost. Well. <laughs> we get him fighting without his shirt, certainly. And then the room is set on fire. Just, you know, to make things interesting. Stone burns pretty easily, so. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the court magician and the horse thief are laying gunpowder under the city. The horse thief hilariously knocks himself out on a stone wall. Oh, Grand Heslov, you dummy. Yeah, but they eventually get it done. Um, Balthazar also faces down Tokmet, who he kills quite easily with very little fanfare. Pretty mismatched fight, I think. Yeah, it's, it's odd. I'd also like to point out that Balthazar didn't seem to be that good of friends with Tokmet's father, so this lacks a bit of 
passion. It does. It does. Back to the rock and Memnon. The Memnon takes the sorceress hostage and goes up onto the roof. Uh, the rock dramatically jumps through with flames to get to her. Nice. He would do anything. Their love is forever. Mm. Gotta get that snake power. <laughs> Memnon then throws the sorceress to one side, so question mark as to why he even had her in the first place, and they continue to fight. Uh, Memnon, swords are now on fire. He now has mm-hmm. two of them, and they're on fire. Flaming swords. Yes. It's a good look. Um, and while he's fighting, a soldier fires an arrow at the rock, which the sorceress predicts, runs to save the rock, but the rock catches her and turns to the side. So attempted rescue, foiled by the rock himself, and the rock is uh, shot in the back. Yeah, all he had to do was go slightly in any other direction. Yeah. Okay, so the rock pulls out the arrow and uses it to kill Memnon, shooting it from his own bow and saying quite wittily, Catch this! Oh, does he? Yeah. So Memnon's capable of catching arrows, by the way, I would like to point out. He's, we've already seen, he's capable of catching arrows, but he's apparently not capable of dropping both swords and catching an arrow before it hits him. Yeah, it kind of seemed like he was going to try to sword the arrow out of the way, which was not his He actually trick. did that earlier. Oh, was that Though, his thing? No, he did that. He did, when the rock shot him earlier in the courtyard, he uses oh. his sword to knock it out of the way. So... I guess he was just off his game today. Mm. I really feel like Memnon should have done better in this fight than he did. The stakes were too high. Performance anxiety. Uh, Memnon goes flying off the balcony into the fiery explosion of the gunpowder. The city rejoices and immediately declares the rock as their new king. There were no other contestants for this. No, they're into it. Then we cut to a time much later. Presumably the city has mostly been rebuilt. (laughs) Well, they probably have a lot of slaves, so it's not that hard. Good point. The rock standing with the sorceress. The sorceress foresees a time of peace and prosperity ahead, uh, which shows that she's not really a very great sorceress, since we already know that he turns out to be a villain. She hasn't lost her power, even though they've, you know. And that's where we get that raised eyebrow. The people's eyebrow. The people's eyebrow. The only time we see it in both this film and The Mummy 2. He didn't do it in The Mummy 2. He was not going to do it in that movie, he said. And she says, what better way can you think of to keep people from taking advantage of you if sorcery runs in your family? Yeah, so, whole thing's an elaborate lie. She says, nothing lasts forever. And The Rock says, but I make my own destiny. Then we roll credits to I Stand Alone by Gobsmack, a 2002 classic. I discovered, actually, when looking this movie up, that that song was actually written for the movie, which explains some of the lyrics. Really? Yeah. I'd like to briefly talk about the use of characters in this. So we have a lot of our stock characters. We have the Betrayer. We have the Comic Relief. We have the Mad Genius. The Precocious Scamp. Oh. One classic after another. But, um... None of them are really used in a way that actually affects the movie. The comic relief could be completely dropped from the movie and nothing would change. He takes zero part in any plot-relevant points. Yeah, he's never the key to winning anything or finding anything. He never helps. No. And The Rock doesn't have doesn't talk with him at all. Yeah. Well, uh, he, same, he has the camel. He doesn't need yeah. him. Same for the mad genius. All we needed him for was the gunpowder. 
and the catapult that got him into the harem and out of the guard's way. That could have been anything, though. But that, well, both of those things could have been other ways. Yeah. Um, the kid could have, should have been cut from the rest of the movie. There was no reason for him to exist other than the first scene that he was in. Right, because he's in the village. So the rock's being led through the village. He's obviously about to be killed or something. And the kid's like, he gets this look on his face. Like, I know you. Oh, I like you. I'm thinking that the kid's going to be like, don't kill this guy. He saved me. He's a good guy. But no, he's just like, oh, that's sad that you're a change now and probably going to be killed. There's no point. There's no reason for it. Also, people didn't normally do a lot of traveling back then, especially a kid. So why would he show up in both places unless he was somehow meant to trap or spy on the rock? Yeah. And then we also get the betrayer who lacks any teeth because he doesn't have a personal relationship with anyone we care about. Actually, what would have worked a lot better is if the brother had either been the betrayer or the comic relief. That would have been way better. And it would have made more sense. That's the thing with this movie. There's so many characters, but they all feel like they were shoehorned in. They all feel like somebody was looking at a list of common characters in films and they just picked a whole bunch of them. But they didn't come to the script organically. Yeah. So the thing with the betrayer is that they didn't need that added motivation. No. They already they already swore in their lives that they were going to do this job. And they got paid for it. And then he had his brother killed, which would have happened even if Takmet hadn't been there. Because let's be real, like they also didn't need Takmet to tell the sorceress that she was going to be killed because she would have seen that anyway. So I don't know why that happened. And he felt like he was set up as a mini boss that you would have to go through to get to Memnon, but that didn't happen. He ended up getting killed by Michael Clark Duncan, who, as you said, had no personal relationship to this guy, really. There was, it it didn't, it wasn't a logical matchup. I feel like they just needed somebody to kill Takmet, and so that's what Mm -hmm. happened. Well, this guy easily could have been played by someone who was actually a spy. Yeah. A spy among the rebels. It could have been, it would have made more sense, actually, for it to be the Rock's brother, um, because Mm -hmm. that would have been a betrayal that actually hurt the Rock. Yeah, and they also never explained why he did it. I mean, I, I guess you don't really need a motivation other than he thought he was picking the winning side, but... It was just like, oh, it it was I. Yeah. And then that's it. And there's also no reason for him to hang around afterwards. Yeah. If he kills his father, presumably, he's the chief of his tribe now. The chief under Memnon, you know? Well, right. Why does he suddenly become the next top guy under Memnon after very recently coming into this situation? Yeah. We also get the comic relief doing basically nothing. And actually, the jokes... You know, when I say comic relief, it's because the things he's saying... I guess might be funny to someone. They're not, they're not real jokes. No, they weren't even trying to be funny in the movie. They're like classic setups for jokes, but like involving camels because it's funny because he's brown. If they were Indian people, these would have been jokes about curry. I mean, it was really dumb. And we already mentioned he's given nothing to do. He's also not someone the rock talks to at all, uh, which would have been another thing the the brother could have done. Yeah. Um, and if given him two brothers, that would have been even better. We would have understood why there was some guy who was making jokes following him around who possibly could have helped in battles more than he did. And we would have had one brother who betrayed the other two. With any type of personal connection to any of the other characters, none of these characters had personal connections to each other. They were all connected by circumstance, but not even the kind of circumstance that made them really care about each other. Yeah. It's kind of weird 
that the rock and the sorceress ended up together. I mean, is it? Like, you've seen the two of them. <laughs> okay, they're both hot. But it's weird because she's just like, eh, I just want to get out of here. But then all of a sudden she really cares about the people and then she cares about the rock. And I, I mean, I get that, like, what I'm describing is how personal relationships form, but it just didn't feel like. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it felt. Well, also, um, the sorceress's motivation. Okay, so the sorceress claims, like, you're going to help the people. You're going to be amazing. Like, you really need to stick around. She's done nothing to help the people. She's done nothing but help Memnon get more and more powerful. So if she really cared so much about the people, what was she doing all this time? She could have, it would have actually made her more sympathetic, I think. Because right now she just comes off as kind of cowardly. Like she couldn't do it herself without personal risk to herself. So she didn't. What would have been better is if he'd had a hostage you know, her mother, her aunt, something like that, that would have been something to control her by. It also would have given them one more thing to do in the final battle, other than just general city trashing. So the other thing is, I feel like they couldn't decide if they wanted the sorceress to be this feisty, independent woman, or if they wanted her to, you to feel sorry for her and be the protected woman. Because the, at first, she doesn't want to go with The Rock. She acts like she doesn't want to go with him. Yeah. But then she pretends, or claims, I guess, that she's foreseen this and she knew that this was going to happen. But then she's escaping at night. She's trying to just leave. Yeah. And then she says, well, it was also so that I could help the people... And that's really just a way for her to get her sob story in about how she's been a prisoner forever and this isn't really her fault. And she doesn't like Memnon. She just had to help him. Yeah. And then she stays. Like, you know, for somebody with the power of prophecy, she really takes a lot of different turns. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that the only good thing that came from this movie was The Rock's movie career. <laughs> yeah. Not, not arguing with that. All right. So in this film... There's a hidden talent, a diamond in the rough, and that person is Grant Heslov. That's right, the dummy comedian is actually a very talented producer and screenwriter. He has won an Oscar for Best Picture with Argo. Oh. He was nominated three other times for... Good Night and Good Luck as both a writer, Best Original Screenplay, and producer, Best Picture, and for The Ides of March as a writer, Best Writing Adapted Screenplay. What happened is, a long time ago, he loaned George Clooney 200 bucks for headshots, and they've been <laughs> really good friends ever since. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. Smart buy, Grant. Smart buy. It's pretty amazing. Considering he had some of the worst lines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? It turned out to be a movie that I I'll probably end up watching it again at some point. <laughs> it I mean, it's a good background movie, for sure. Yeah. Have it on while you're, I don't know, cleaning the house. I mean, I really think that if you want to watch, like, a Middle Eastern-themed movie, you should probably watch The Mummy. Mm, I do love The Mummy. But sometimes you just need The Rock. Yeah. And I have a feeling we'll be seeing lots, lots more of The Rock on this podcast. Oh, Yeah. Wait, what are you saying about his films? <laughs> For more of our podcast, go to moreismorepodcast.com. To contact us, write us at moreismorepodcast at gmail.com.